welcome back to Building Better Basketball. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach Development and Volunteer Manager with Basketball Australia. Joining me today, it's safe to say, is none other than a coaching legend. Lisa Alexander AM coached the Australian national netball team from 2011 to 2020. Alexander coached the Diamonds for 102 test matches, becoming the most capped Australian coach of all time. She oversaw gold medal successes at the 2014 Com Games, 2015 Netball World Cup, as well as silver medals at the 2018 Com Games and 2019 Netball World Cup. As Australian coach, Alexander won 83 of her 102 test matches, an impressive 81% winning record. In 2000, she was awarded the Australian Sports Medal for services to netball as a player, and most importantly, in the area of coaching and player development. In the 2021 Australia Day Honours, Alexander was made a member of the Order of Australia for significant service to netball at the elite level. That's some CV, and we're really lucky to have her. Lisa, thank you so much for giving up your time, and welcome to Building Better Basketball. Thanks. It's actually quite humbling to be on a basketball coaches podcast because I've always admired basketball coaches in Australia for, for a long time, of course. Who can go past Lindsay Gaze and, and you know, the Tom Mars and then the Sandy Brondellos and just just all just class 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 all the way and i've been an admirer of 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 coaching in basketball particularly in the elite level but also in the in the sub elite level in the talent development area i've been a huge admirer of what basketball has done for so long which has really enabled an environment for their coaches to flourish and to have high expectations of their own professional development so and i had always wished that for netball as well. And that's why I worked so hard at it. While I was coaching, I was also educating coaches in netball. I just thought it went hand in hand and it was my responsibility to do that, to try and catch up to basketball. Simple. Lisa, one of the key things that coaches are faced with at every level from the elite through to the sub elite is their own coaching mortality in their role and a balance between wellness and external pressures and expectations and I touched on the introduction. You spent nine years at the absolute pinnacle and, and left with a win record that would be envied in, in any sport at any level. How did you manage the pressure and the and maintaining your mental health with your role? Um, well, I probably, when you look back at it, did a, a fairly good job. I wouldn't give myself a 10 out of 10. We used to rate our matches, our performances in matches, the coaches, as well as the players in the diamonds, because we did that due to our um, adherence to high performance behaviours. So that accountability after every coaching session, after every match was pretty hard. Um, but I was always one from the very, very beginning to understand the need to recover um, and that's not just for the athletes, but also for the coaches and the staff. So because we're in such a, a furnace of high performance when you're away with the national team, you, there's so many expectations, you have to recover well and you have to take notice of the human side of coaching and the relationship side, which we felt was extremely important. So it was important on tour to go out and have 
well, I implemented it with the players as well, and they thought it was a great idea as well too, which we called it family night. But what it meant was you you could go and do what you wanted to do, what was important for you. And it meant that you didn't have to go out with the whole team, but many of the team did, the players. We made sure through the leadership group that no one was left out because we didn't want any clicks developing. However, it was just as important for the staff. So the staff would also definitely go out together. But if it was the staff member's home state, then the expectation was they went home with their family. So that's kind of how serious I took that wellness, well-being, recovery side of absolutely putting your guts out on the line for your country. I think that's that's something that ties back to a previous episode we had where we had a mental um, skills coach from the Arizona Diamondbacks on in Major League Baseball, and she spoke about that message that she was drumming home to all the coaches at all their levels of not solely focusing on the wellness of their athletes, but also remembering their own wellness and how they actually take that step back after every game and ensure that they're okay before they then take the step forward onto next week. It's such an important part of the coaching performance. I talk about the fifth quarter because in, in netball, we play four quarters and the fifth quarter is just as important. It's the communication that happens after the match. And yes, you do need to take, and particularly through my own reading in psychology, and I I definitely followed a, a, a great psychologist in America to call Dr. Jim Lure. I can't ever say his last name, but it's spelled L-O-E-H-R. And I followed his book, Mental Toughness Training for, for Sports, since the early 90s. And he was ahead of his time, totally ahead of his time. And so a lot of his principles I used in my coaching as well. And even as an athlete, because I was still playing in the early 90s as well, I used a lot of his um, mental skills approach to my own game because I actually had to compete against some of the players I was coaching back in those days. So it was quite interesting. And I was a captain coach of quite an elite team. So it was absolutely imperative for me to role model really great high-performance behaviours then um, for the young people that I, were, that I was coaching at the time. So I took a lot of notice of mental skills training from a very early time. And one of the things Jim talked about was the recovery scale. And I actually applied, applied this in my own profession at the time, which was teaching where we came up with a program for teachers at the time to measure their recovery. And guess what? Today, of course, we've got all those watches and smart watches and robots and everything else, but they're doing the same thing. They're just monitoring, um, you know, people's rest and sleep. And all I can say, it's like the garden out that I'm looking at today. You've got to, you know, you've got to feed, feed your plants the right food. You've got to water them but you've got to allow them to grow at night time, which is their growth time. And it's the same with people. You know, we have to have our good sleep, good recovery to be able to do what is actually difficult. It's actually not healthy sometimes to be an elite athlete or to be an elite coach. 
So as coaches in the community, often the key focus for the stakeholders tangential to the coach are on athlete well-being. And often that can mean different things at different levels. It could look like enjoyment on the core, or it could even just be what I suppose is referred to at the highest level and, and even at the sub-elite level as, as the culture of the team and the culture yeah. of the of the club. Can you just expand a little bit more, I guess, on your coaching philosophy in that area? As I know it's something you're passionate about, not only in terms of the well-being that you, you've just touched on there, but also, I guess, the concept of a coach's role in just making good people. Yeah, I, I'll give you an example of that. And it was when I went on a trip to Namibia back in 2015, which is in South Africa. Um, it's a country that's just on, it's not South Africa, but it's next to South Africa. So I didn't know about it until I got asked to come and do a week's clinic there with the Wanderers um, Rugby Netball Club. And it was one of the most uh, spine-tingling, life-changing experiences I've ever had as a coach and also as a coach developer because I got the opportunity to work with a club for a week and really immerse myself in their culture and what they were trying to achieve. And one of the nights, of course, was about, you know, coaching the coaches and there were rugby coaches there as well, which was terrific. Um, and, you know, I talked about the need to really know, know the people that are in your club, know get to know them, know their interests, know what turns them on. Because at the end of the day, as a coach, the best coaches were always the ones that knew their, their athletes the best and their players, even at community level. You know, their job, and I explained to them, their job is so important and it's critically important in a place like Namibia, which has got such great differences in levels of poverty and you know, racism and all sorts of things that, you know, the netball coach or the rugby coach becomes the most important person in a young person's life. Like it's that, it's that important, you know, and I just made sure I pumped them up because they are important in young people's lives. I know what teachers do, you know, they can do, they can do harm. Um, and what I say to the coaches, and I often get a bit funny about it, I say, do no harm mentally, physically, spiritually to your athletes or players because that's not your job. Your job is to help people grow. Yeah. So with that exact last word in mind, that growing concept, you're, and we talked about it before we started, you're someone that's always kind of been looking around and, and taking from every kind of resource that, that you can find. How have you kept improving yourself as a coach over the journey? Um, it's also another thing that I guess I learned from, you know, that reading of Jim Lure back in the day and also um, Stephen Covey, who wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is very, it's a very old book now, but it's very, it's very apt today as well. It's knowing your purpose and your mission and your vision that you have yourself, um, because if you don't have your own shit together, in inverted commas, then you can't do the really best job you possibly can for the young people you teach. So I would say the same thing to teachers as well as coaches. So the 
the continuous work on your own self-development is critical for you to becoming better at what you do when you're dealing with human beings, not robots, not pieces of meat or chattels that sometimes I think sports people are treated like, which really makes me upset. But coaches understand that. And, you know, I had coaches that came across to Namibia from Zimbabwe. They came a long way. They came 12 hours on a journey across. And to see the passion and care that they had in their eyes and knowing that they were going to go back and take all of that learning back to Zimbabwe. And now we have Zimbabwe competing in a World Cup for the very first time for netball. So hopefully that visit back in 2015 just sparked that real passion for getting the best out of the Zimbabwean athletes. But it also would have had implications down the, you know, in club land as well. But the, you had a, a relation, a mentoring relationship with a basketball coach back when you were coaching in the netball space and I'm just interested I guess I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on how that kind of cross-sport mentoring worked both from your personal perspective but also in terms of uh, the knowledge that was shared and then some of the similarities you see from because from the outside someone alien to both sports would look at basketball and netball as something they would imagine there's a lot of similar basic skills that could be transferred between the two from a coaching sense. I'm just keen on your thoughts on that. Yeah, look, I probably didn't do enough cross-sport work with basketball, I'll admit, back in the day. I certainly discussed it at a higher level with people like Patrick Hunt and, and um, Tom Marr, I think I even spoke to at some stage. And, you know, it's it, I, I didn't do enough. That's my regret um, I did a lot more in AFL football, um, a lot more diving into what they did on on game day and all that because the game is more is more similar in many respects to our game, which is 360. Um, but Jane Searle is a good example of a of a coach that in netball who also was a very top basketballer as well. She was an Australian player as well in. Um, netball as well as basketball and her understanding of defense techniques and what just she had that intuition around what was needed in a defense end and I think that learning from her when she was able to you know I guess teach us her basketball knowledge was really really important but I would say I didn't do enough um and I needed to do more, particularly in basketball and netball, because there are so many similarities of what you do, particularly now with the the super shot in netball. It's just so basketball-like. And people, if they follow me on Twitter, will know I'm <laughs> having a crack at basketball at time to time, but I'm not really because, you know, netball is a subset of basketball. That's how we grew, That's how we are what we are today. I contemplated and... whether to bring up the super shot, Lisa, <laughs> and I've been I've been monitoring your tweets regarding it. I thought oh, it might be might be too much of a hot button topic. No, no, it's fine. It's, I just play around with it. I love <laughs> the Opals and the Boomers, and you know, Joe Ingalls came into training with us when Renee was in the team, when I was lucky enough to coach Renee Ingalls back in two fifteen sixteen and so on. 
And, you know, Joe was terrific too, like just his knowledge and understanding of basketball that he brought to us. I mean, we wanted him to do a specific role for us. He was playing um, Ramelda Aitken at the time, I think, and, you know, posting up and being the shooter, which I think encouraged him to go for three-point shots in the end. Um, (laughs) And that's what he's known for in America now. But I think more of that makes coaching really interesting makes games really interesting and what we have learned from basketball I know is being applied to the super shot period now um and you know our shooters don't have a backboard so they've got to be deadly accurate with that you know circle they have to get the ball into so not as big a ball of course not quite as heavy so it's a different action but many of our players have had a basketball background as well. That's the other thing I need to say because a lot of our athletes have played both. And I've always liked that because I think back in the day, basketball has brought a great uh, aggression to the game that we just didn't have in netball. It was too nice. You know, it's a ladies' game. Whereas the ones that played basketball and netball, particularly in the country regions, they just got it. They got um, strategy, like you could really strategize with these players because they already had it in basketball. They had great coaches that, you know, showed them all the different plays to do, all of that stuff. And then they would apply that in netball and they come up with creative ideas of how to bring that into our netball strategies as well. So, you know, I think it's brilliant that coaches nowadays really do. I think, you know, some of them even have, you know, different coaches from different sports as you know consultants to their program and I I encourage them to do that I think that's really important one thing one thing that we try and push is where you can get messages from it doesn't have to just be basketball there's so many messages that you can get when we're recording this the day after Anzac day and yeah I I tweeted out from the Basketball Australia coaches account a couple of things that Craig McRae had had done and as I know like Craig, Craig McRae is just my he's my latest love child for certain. Um, I just love the fact that he just says there's no mistakes. Just you know, don't worry about it. Just get on with the next thing, which we have to do in netball too. And he's an example of someone who's just. I mean, I've watched him in his career and I've also spent a bit of time with him as well at Collingwood when he was back when he was a development coach. He's fascinating. You know, he's won three premierships with, you know, Brisbane. He's, as a player, he's elite, but he has really worked hard on his coaching. And he sat with me for an hour and a half and we just talked coaching the whole time. And I was it, lucky enough to work with him when I was at, at cricket and he was, mm. it was at the time, similar time frame yeah. when he was trying to teach Mason Cox remotely via zoom, how to kick a ball. And we, we spent the same, probably an hour or two just talking about hip and shoulder alignment and fast bowling and how he could kind of use that as a way to kind of make it clearer to Mason about keeping everything going towards target. And yeah, the, the journey that he's been on, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think he was a three-time premiership player. I know he's so, that's the other message. He's so humble and he's so like, I even text him out of the blue. He probably thought who in the hell is this woman? I text him because I had his number and I said, I'm just so thrilled for you, Craig. They're just looking brilliant. And he just, he said, and he sent it back. He sent a text back to me and I went, 
oh my God, I didn't expect that. But, you know, what a good person. You can see the sort of athletes he's developing, like listening to um, Darcy Moore speak after the game as I was nearly in tears because as a teacher, you love hearing great speeches from the students like that. And, you know, Dacos's sons, it's it's a beautiful story. As a coach, Lisa, it's easy to, at the elite level where wins and losses are the only currency that really matter. And I know it's a loaded <laughs> question that can be taken a million ways, but let's look at it uh, at the community level from your perspective. How would you define success as a coach? Success as a coach in the community is having smiles on young people's faces not all the time because they have to have like sports an example of life and it teaches great lessons so you don't want it all to be happy days and all of them getting a gold medal I just think that's crap I've always thought that's crap Um, and I grew up in a time I can tell you where they did used to do that and they didn't want to have competition which for me as a competitive young woman you can imagine what that was like for me like I hated it So, you know, competition is important to a certain extent, but so is teamwork. So is learning all of those lessons that just gold for life. And I know parents that know this, that they need to sit back and shut up and let their coaches get on with what they're doing, unless there's something unsafe. But at the end of the day, they've got to learn the hard lessons. Sometimes things are unfair. It's as simple as that. Sometimes people are biased. Sometimes umpires make mistakes. Like who cares at the end of the day as long as the kid is getting an experience that's going to help them grow? And they're, you know, like I said, don't do any harm mentally or physically. And I mean that in the sense of don't moddy coddle them because they've got to fall over and scrape their knees. But you know, make sure we we create an environment where kids can really experience the beauty of sport and competition and spirit and togetherness that community sport does. Like if you're doing that as a coach, then you're gold. I, I want you in my club. Yeah, because sometimes the, the best thing about sport is the journey from point A to point B as well and the, and the scars that you wear along the way are what yeah. make point B the more well, what what do I tell my stories about now unfortunately it's about concussions <laughs> but you know in one of two national you know nationals games I was knocked out hmm. and it's a great story it's a story but you know my parents my parents were good because they did not interfere and they just sat there on the site. Well, actually, only my mum. My dad thought netball was tiddlywinks, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> but my mum just let me go. And I learned how to drive because, you know, I had to go to training. All of those things that I learned from sport, I know she knew would make me into the person that I am today. Lisa, the last question we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, if you could ask one coach in any sport, alive or dead, a question, who would the coach be and what would the question be? It'd be Vince Lombardi, who's been the person and coach who has most, I guess, influenced me as a person. 
because he wasn't a great player, but he became a great coach. And he also had to deal with racism. Um, and I've had to deal with sexism, I, go, I guess, in different ways. Um, I would ask him at the end of the day, was it all worth it? Was, was the time away from family and the pain that that causes, and you can hear it in my voice, was that worth it for those rings that he, you know, hmm. he created? Yeah, and I mean the trophy that they play for every year is named after him. Is he's left a indelible mark on his sport, but that's a that might be the most uh, deep question that's been asked. I yeah. think, Lisa. I mean, since... for me, it is deep. It's yeah, coaching is my passion, so it's deep. Lisa, I think there's so many different avenues we could go down and keep talking about and we could just keep the tape running for <laughs> hours and hours but I really appreciate you um, giving up your time to jump on and I encourage anyone that does use Twitter to uh, give Lisa a follow because it, you do learn a little bit more about uh, netball as I'm finding out myself but she's a, she's a multi-sport observer and uh, as someone that has a Kiwi passport we uh <laughs> congratulate her on our Melbourne Storm fandom from last night but oh yes I was very I was getting quite hot under the collar but <laughs> and I, I meant it I have I've heard that bloody anthem how many times but at the end of the day I know it off by heart because I know if we had to play the aliens I'd never want anyone else better alongside me than a Kiwi sorry Irish <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much, and um, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Put your hands up! Yo, get ready! In the crowd!